0: Hey everybody, you're listening to the We Are Rising podcast. This is your host, Andrew Benjamin, and I'm joined by a very special guest today. With us, we have Pride Resurrection, who operates the awesome Pride Resurrection YouTube channel, where you can find old Pride shows, the weirdest of MMA shit that you never knew existed, and also, uh, Pride Resurrection, he also commentates on this show. He actually is a very good commentator. And uh, Most Dangerous Man Alive, Pride Resurrection, whatever name you go by, I appreciate you talking to us, say. <laughs>
1: no problem. Thanks for, thanks for giving me a shout-out. Uh, 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 there we do weird stuff in the annals of MMA history. <laughs> That's what I like to say.
0: So, yeah, just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how you got uh, into MMA fandom.
1: So it probably started in 2005, maybe late 2005, early 2006, when just by chance I was bored and probably browsing a torrent site and saw that they had uploaded a UFC. And I had watched UFC, or I'd seen like maybe UFC 2 back in like 1993 and as a kid. And I kind of knew about it, but I didn't pay much attention to it. And at the time, it was sort of considered a crazy uh, spectacle. And so all through the 90s, didn't really care. was a kid involved with video games. Uh, And then so in 2006, I downloaded, I think it was, I want to say it was UFC 66. And it had Matt Hughes defending his title. I also had Rich Franklin on it, and I watched that, and I was, like, hooked because it was so different from what I remember, the grungy, bloody, ugly UFC 2. And from then on, I, I just started uh, getting them all, got into Pride around 2007, a little late. At that time, Pride was closing up shop. Uh, I remember watching a Mark Coleman promo where he had broken uh, Shogun, who was arm, and that was posted on, at the time it might have been MySpace. It was somewhere it was posted on, and I was watching it. I'm like, well, what's this? I've never uh, seen this before. And it was, you know, i seen it was Pride in Japan. And then after that, I had went and uh, found uh, the entire collection of Pride, uh, binge-watched it over a weekend. And, yeah, I, w- I would say that was that. was that.
0: So, uh, yeah, you said you have gotten to Pride a little bit late. Uh, did you, how did you, uh... Uh, watch uh, Pride uh, after the fact. Uh, did, were you doing the tra- tape trading or were you going on LimeWire or the uh, torrent sites, YouTube? How did, Yeah, how- it,
1: it would have been... A, it, I had found an entire torrent that had Pride from the Grand Prix. Didn't have Pride 1 through 8. It had uh, started with the Grand Prix all the way to the end. And so that was the collection I had downloaded. And that was what I had been binge-watched over that weekend.
0: And how, so tell us the uh, culmination of the Pride Resurrection YouTube channel. Uh, when did you conceive this idea? And uh, yeah, just tell us how, how you conceived the idea of this uh, YouTube channel.
1: So like many of people, I was, uh, I, I'm an avid YouTuber watching YouTube. And I was inspired by several channels, I guess you could say. I was inspired by like The Gaming Historian and Red Letter Media and even to an extent uh, OSW. Uh, old-school wrestling reviews, and just looking on YouTube, I've seen there is not a whole lot of stuff on Pride. There is not a lot of reminiscing or look-backs or reviews and stuff like that. And so I said, huh, you know, that's that could be – we could capture the market on this. We could be the only channel on YouTube that's doing Pride reviews in English. Now, search – maybe there's it's different for, like, R- Russian or Japanese. But, uh, yeah, we cornered the market on Pride reviews and – uh, the the views haven't been great. <laughs> I would say it's a very uh, you know niche uh, market, but uh, yeah, we're we're it. We're the home for for, for Pride reviews, and also now as uh, I've expanded sort of the video to include more Japanese MMA, Japanese wrestling, and odd stuff
0: that I, that I'll find that has been showcased before. So I gotta ask. I, I don't know if you can divulge, uh, but. Where do you get your stash from? Is this stuff that you have, uh, uh saved on a hard drive somewhere, or is there a, this is a case where you know a guy who knows a guy, uh, who has this stuff?
1: So right now I do have a large stash, but I filled my stash from there was a um, there was a Russian forum. Uh, it's like a and it's a torrent tracker, and somebody was spreading around a list on there for uh, all these uh mega.nz uh folders and they were just filled with mma current mma uh mma from the 2000s just endless endless drives and so i i spent some time to go through the entire list kind of mapped out what was in each drive and got to stuff that i was most interested in which would have been stuff from the late 90s early 2000s odd stuff I'd never seen before, uh, or was interested in checking out. And yeah, so that kind of helped my collection right there. That the Russian master list, which is kind of a little bit defunct now because somebody recently, I would say a couple months ago, somebody was going in and purging all the drives of everything that was on there. <laughs> oh, oh,
0: okay. So I gotta ask as well. Uh, I uh, Pride for those that don't know is owned by UFC, Zufa, Endeavor, whatever company owns it. Have you YouTube has, is notorious because of its draconian copyright laws? Have you have has the channel ever gotten any strikes or been victim of the uh, YouTube copyright system yet? Yeah, yeah. In fact, just a couple days ago, I was faced down. I guess YouTube has
1: a new method now, <clears throat> um, where if a strike is impending because you dispute it or you send like a counter-strike notification and you want to appeal their strike, they'll uh, they'll send you a seven-day takedown notice saying in seven days, if you don't cancel your appeal, you're going to get a strike. So what's the whole point of the appeal if they can just take it down anyway? I, I don't get it. I don't know what it is, but yeah, uh, UFC is... Um, Uh, quite stringent, even if it's legitimate fair use, where it's transformative, it's commentary, it's review, it's educational. That's everything you could say about our episodes on Pride is we provide the context of the fighters, what happened at the fight, there's comedy bits. It's completely fair use, but it doesn't matter. Like, uh, we have absolutely no say whatsoever and whether UFC can take down our content and we can't even appeal uh they will just reject the appeal and there's nothing we can do we can't even submit a um a counterclaim or a counter notification whatever it is because they say we don't have the basis or the legitimate standing to uh, the legal right they said so the YouTube's own system of copyright uh, they don't enforce it on an equal level. For a small channel like us, we don't even get a chance to dispute it.
0: Do you happen to... Uh, I don't know. If, do you use any alternate websites in case uh, if the ch- channel's ever taken down that you just upload, like uh, Vimeo or something like that?
1: Yeah, so BitChute, we do have a channel up on BitChute, and most of the stuff is on there, uh, but I think I still have to fill the gaps a little bit. Uh, I had went and downloaded... Uh, I went and downloaded all of the content that we had uploaded because I didn't necessarily save all the original editing projects, you know, to clear out space and, and to keep my drive tidy. So I went and uh, pulled the, all the stuff that we had on YouTube down into a, a backup. So yeah, BitChute, we're on there. And uh, if our channel does ever go down, which you never know, it might, because we were, we were pulled down. Uh, I don't know what was the story behind it, why but we were flagged for sexually explicit material. Now I disputed that and our channel was reinstated, but the problem was that from that moment on, it's been nothing but a constant struggle trying to reach the previous highs that we had hit every video we released uh, in terms of like the pride resurrection stuff. It was a new high, new high in viewership, new high in watch time, new high in subscribers. And then that, uh, takedown or that, uh, uh, ban of our channel pretty much, uh, not only took out our momentum, but I think it put us into that scary place of YouTube where we're kind of not findable to the average person. Like we don't appear in recommended videos and stuff like that. Before then we had no problem. But after that, uh, whoever initiated that, whether it was an automatic process for whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, or if somebody had, flagged our channel as a means to, you know, to, to kind of troll us or, or hurt us, whatever. It did. It did really bad damage to the channel, and it's been hard to try and recover from that. Uh, but I'm still working on it. <laughs> you know, still, I'm working on a new Pride Resurrection right now, and uh, it should be a whole lot of fun.
0: I can actually tell you uh, from people, what from other people who use YouTube that I know, that if you do get a warning, even if you successfully appeal it, it totally Fucks with the algorithm, so basically, yeah, so basically, yeah. yeah, you're 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 not wrong, in, in what you're saying, no doubt, that's why it's not put, uh, picking up in the recommended. So, like, you would literally have to uh, look up Pride Resurrection on the on the search bar to find you yeah, at this point.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, let's talk about the YouTube channel, and I want to talk about my probably my favorite subject that you that you guys do, the MMA oddities, where you have everything yeah. from like pro wrestlers luchadors doing MMA and just, like, it's like the grimy, dirty side of MMA that I, I, I kind of, it's, 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 I miss it uh, just because of every, it's, it's so sports-like that you kind of miss the old days where you just, you had two fat guys or two Mexican luchador or Mexican luchador versus Minoru Suzuki and it just, you know, there, there was something, there's something very appealing about that. I have no idea why. So, I just, w- tell us how, like, what, how, when he decided to do MMA audio, he's like, what, what was the thought process behind st- starting, that, starting up that series?
1: Well, I just wanted to kind of highlight the weird one-off fights that had filled the history of MMA. Uh, yeah, like you had said, a luchador fighting Minoru Suzuki and he low blows his way out of the match. You know, <laughs> it's like he, has, he doesn't stand a chance against Minoru Suzuki. And he finds his way out by mean Minoru Suzuki in the junk. Uh, Just, I love that stuff. Not only is it funny, but just interesting and, and, you know, fun to watch. And I think MMA now, love it or hate it, it has become very streamlined uh, down to how guys train, how guys eat. Uh, A lot of it is sort of almost interchangeable guys. Like, it doesn't matter who you put in there. They're almost... The same fighter, and I think what UFC has done to sort of streamline MMA, uh, what they've done is they they've kind of taken out the spectacle from it, uh, save save for a couple. Every now and then you'll have a superstar like Conor McGregor fight, and that's still a spectacle. But I think UFC's attempts to make it a a league. Like the MBA or something like that, where everything has to be controlled—what the guys wear, how the you know how they look—all uh, that stuff is a detriment to the sport. In the fact that they're taking away the personality and character and individuality of the fighters, and an attempt to make it a more streamlined, legitimate, you know, professional sport. I think that's a mistake. Uh, they MMA, in my opinion, was so much better in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, maybe it wasn't um there were some elements to it that were questionable and you didn't have the best level of talent. But I think the match just and the styles and there was it was almost chaotic, but the uncertainty of it was what was appealing. You know, so you could have that luchador versus um, you know, Minoru Suzuki, and then they try, you know, they were trying to do something like that today. You have the CM Punk versus, uh, I can't even remember who CM Punk fought. <laughs> but even then, if CM Punk wasn't coming in and being CM Punk. He was just being your run-of-the-mill MMA fighter who really didn't have any reason to be in a ring. Now, if CM Punk would have come in and he's dressed like CM Punk and he does the CM Punk stuff... I, that would be awesome.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, I, you bring up a great point, because without you, I wouldn't have discovered fighters like Osamu Kawahara, who might be right. legitimately the worst MMA fighter of all time.
1: the Tachikori uh, was his wrestling name. He had uh, lightning bolts on his singlet, and he fought Gary Goodridge once at Pride in the Pride 2000 Grand Prix, and he was quickly... Uh, dismantled by Gary Goodridge. Uh, He had no business being in the ring with Gary Goodridge. Uh, Why they they matched him up with Gary Goodridge, I have no idea, but Gary Goodridge crushed him, and then he fought another time. I I think I covered it. It was in... uh, I want to say it was in Deep. It was in the Deep promotion, which was sort of a... While Pride was going on, Deep was built as sort of a minor league sort of promotion for Pride, that Pride would use for talent. Uh that changed, but yeah, he appeared at a, a deep and he wasn't any better against I can't even remember who he fought, but it was uh not good.
0: Alright, uh, wasn't that the El Kanak match? I actually just I think I uh, yeah,
1: that's right. He did yeah, he also fought a luchador. Uh and El Kanak uh I think El Kanak won that one. It yes. was Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a travesty.
0: <laughs> so it sounds like you're also a pro wrestling fan, or at least were at some point. Uh, do you? Get- yeah,
1: I, I still am, though I don't really watch. I would say I don't really watch MM or uh, UFC, uh, not UFC, uh, WWE, that much nowadays. Uh, but yeah, I was a, a big. I grew up on, in my teens, when, during the Attitude Era, I was big on. Uh, me and my dad used to watch it. We started watching WCW with the NWO, then we switched over to w, uh, WWF. But I had, you know, as a kid, I had watched obviously Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Randy Savage, and that was in the, the late eighties. So I was absolutely a, a fan of uh, wrestling, but fell out of it until the Attitude Era, and then after the Attitude Era, and I, you know, became uh, an adult and mm-hmm. started drinking and getting interested in women. <laughs> yeah, that kind of went the uh, to the side there.
0: But you also have a knowledge of pure wrestling, Japanese pro wrestling, as well. or do you keep up with? Uh... Like New Japan or All Japan now? Or is it just something you just casually pay attention to?
1: Yeah, no, not not current day stuff. Although I will uh, every now and then maybe watch the New Kingdom that they come out. I got into Japanese pro wrestling just out of a necessity, out of all the Japanese pro wrestlers that were appearing in Pride. And I had to do research on them and find out who they were. And just from that necessity i kind of started getting into it and having uh, a curiosity but also an appreciation for japanese pro wrestling and so we have done some japanese pro wrestling stuff on uh on the channel and we have done videos that have been dedicated to japanese pro wrestling or you know shoot style pro wrestling which was a thing in Japan from 1983 until 19 well there there might be some form of shoot wrestling still going on now but the thing behind shoot wrestling shoot style wrestling was that it was MMA just with predetermined results so it looked like your your typical MMA match with with ground fighting some stand up kickboxing but it was all predetermined and i would say that would probably be a big catalyst for mma worldwide but specifically in japan because Pancrase came from shoot style and Pancrase was for the most part a legitimate promotion there was the odd work maybe thrown into pancreas uh, some people will say there was more works than there was legitimate fights but i think there was a more of a uh, legitimate shoot than the work side but Japanese MMA definitely was birthed from shoot style pro wrestling. And, you know, that was something I learned along the way doing, when I started doing Pride Resurrection was researching the fighters who were appearing and and doing stories on their history, where they came from, what they did. Uh, So, yeah.
0: So, um, out of all the MMA oddities things that you have watched, which was the one that you just said, I cannot believe that this match actually happened in some arena?
1: Uh, so that would have to be probably, number one would have to be Kimo versus Sakuraba. Uh, and the only reason for that is because the last two fighters I would ever have expected to you know fight would be Kimo in his glory days. If he ever had glory days, those were it. 1996, you know, 1995, 96, 97. Kimo versus Sakuraba. And probably like the Elkanak versus um, Osamu. Just because Osamu was so horrible. And I got to get my names right because I think I said Osamu fought Gary Gerger I don't think he did. I'm, th- I'm thinking of Tachikori, uh, and I would have to look real quick here to, to uh, get my facts straight, because uh, I have just a jumble mess in my head of mm-hmm. of Japanese pro wrestlers that... Um, I might th- be thinking of Soichi, uh, who was just a fat, disgusting, worthless guy who fought Ensign Inoue at Pride 5, And he would later fight, I think I do have one where he fights uh, an MMA oddity. He fights Giant Ochai, another Japanese, I don't think he did pro wrestling, but he was a rising star in Japanese MMA. The most ridiculous thing you've ever seen, uh, Soichi is covered with Yakuza tattoos. He is the most disgusting looking man you've ever fought. And... Uh, giant Ochai uh, destroys him uh, but but not before Soichi kisses him before the fight <laughs> it is um, yeah that would be one of them and also I would say uh, uh, some of the other stuff that you can't believe happened would be Josan fighting at Pride the Best uh, Volume 1 and then I think he fought again at Pride the Best Volume 2 you could tell that that guy was just dripping with mental disease, and uh, s- something was going to come to That was the
0: one he came out in the loincloth or like the speedo. Yeah, that,
1: yeah, yeah. It was like a speedo loincloth, and he had it pulled into his ass, like gave himself an intentional wedgie. Uh, you could see his cup, uh, like his strap beneath, was not even covered at all, uh, and he he doesn't even fight. Like the guy takes him down and he taps out immediately. It, and that's like, Oh, why?
0: This, is this is the one that? where he, or like it, like on Wikipedia it lists tap out as li, by like fear or something. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, something ridiculous like that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm. Oh God. Uh, but actually, so let's move on to the Pride of videos. Uh, speaking of Pride, because uh, well, I want to know uh, commentary. So you provide so commentary on these shows. Uh, what made you want to start commentating over the shows rather than, you know, just... I mean, was, was that a, a fair use thing that that, that you decided? Yeah.
1: yeah, it was a fair use thing. And, and also, I had wanted to... I was really interested in the, the history aspect of the fighters. Like, where they came from, where they would go, uh, what would happen with them. Uh, so, when I started doing it, it was... It was heavily influenced by a want to cover the histories of the fighters, cover the history of the sport, where the sport was going at the time, uh, what was going on in uh, the world of MMA. So, I, and I started. And it's a duo here. We have we have two. Uh, though lately it's been just me, but that uh, will kind of change. Um, you know, going forward, we we'll, we're going to try and mix it up. Just time constraints and location and stuff like that. But it's uh, me and the Colombian good vibe and the Colombian good vibe has been there since the beginning. Uh, we did uh, pride one together and there's only been a couple of times where he hasn't been available to do it. Uh, this next episode coming out, I couldn't get him uh, av- available to do it, but I, we have a surprise, and I don't want to spoil anything uh, for any avid fans of Pride Resurrection. Uh, you'll just have to watch the full episode when it's completed. <laughs> but we do have something in the works there, so. Uh, so yeah, that- it's a two-man group. Mm-hmm. It's a two-two-man group. Uh, me and uh, the Colombian Goodbye, though he doesn't do really any of the offshoot videos like the MMA Oddities or the Classic MMA Revival. Uh, That would be all stuff that's uh, that's my interest.
0: Mm -hmm. So actually, uh, we do have two questions uh, on social media regarding Uh uh, Pride. Um, Well, the first question is from the Downturn podcast at Downturn. Let me just make sure I get their handle right. Uh, At Downturn, the they say they ask top three fighters of your top three fighters who never fought in Pride. So.
1: I would have to limit that question to the time that Pride was in existence. You know, like you could say, oh, you know, Conor McGregor or John Jones. Uh, I'll limit it to the time that Pride was in existence. So with that in mind, the top three fighters that never fought in Pride but wish they would have fought in Pride would be Randy Couture. Come on, him versus Fedor would have (laughs) been like the match of uh, the century. Uh, So Randy Couture, Matt Hughes. Uh, and interesting about both Matt Hughes and Randy Couture, they both fought in Japan. They both fought for rings. Uh, Randy Couture was in the King of Kings 2000 tournament uh, for rings, made it to the semifinals, I believe. Uh, and Matt Hughes fought for rings at their 10th anniversary show, uh, but they never they never fought in Pride. I know Matt Hughes was announced to fight in a Pride show that after UFC had bought pride they had announced that he would fight for the uh, pride middleweight title of course that uh never had or the welterweight title but that never happened uh because that show was quickly canceled once UFC could work with the Japanese the Japanese weren't willing to do anything that to, to help out or get a um an, an arena scheduled or anything like that so Randy Couture, Matt Hughes, and Tito Ortiz uh Chuck Liddell had fought in pride I believe he, uh, uh, off the top of my head, he, I, he fought for once. Uh, he fought once. I think he might fight again, but uh, I can't recall off the top of my head. Uh, so, yeah, that would be the top three right there.
0: And the other question is, uh, it is technically pride really because he did uh, fight in Pride, uh, the first Pride, actually. Uh, why do you hate our glorious overword, Nobuhiko Takata, so much?
1: Yes, so, um, Nobuhiko Takata, I... I I hate him, but I can appreciate his what he did for Japanese MMA and Japanese pro wrestling. But, but he is a he is a loathsome person. <laughs> he is, uh, if you want to know, like one of the reasons why I hate Takata so much is just the way he treated. So they had the Takata Dojo, and the Takata Dojo was a pro wrestling dojo, but also list you know was as like a shoot style legitimate dojo. And anybody that had signed up. Uh, to fight in the Takata Dojo or fight and train at the Takata Dojo and then eventually have real fights, they would give their entire purse, uh, whatever money that they were slated to get from fighting, would go to Takata and he paid a salary every month. Now that's, that's great, but when you're Sakuraba and you're a part of the Takata Dojo and you're fighting at the top of the card, you should be getting paid. He probably was getting paid a 100 grand plus easily, maybe 200 grand when he fought Vanderlei Silva the first time. All that money goes to Takata. Takata gives him like a uh, three thousand yen salary. <laughs> so, uh, in fact, that was that's a sticking point behind their relationship. I think they had a fractured relationship because Sakuraba was a disciple of Takada. Takata T- uh, had trained him to, uh, to be a pro wrestler, had gave him obviously opportunities of in Pride at you know Pride two, and that was. Takata has a a very sordid history with Pride Pride, uh, Fighting Championships. He was one of the co-founders of it. He was like an executive producer and all this stuff. So he had a lot of sway and he always put his guys in shows, whether they belong there or not, not including Sakuraba. Obviously Sakuraba was a great talent. But guys like Yuhi Sano, who was just one of his pro wrestling buddies and shoot style buddies, uh, who couldn't be any worse of a fighter <laughs> uh, so yeah Takata just his business practices and just uh, it was probably arrogant and ego and him booking himself to fight at pride uh, pride three he booked himself in a clear fixed fight he fought against a guy uh who never fought before and oh my god I just had his name um Kyle Sturgeon guy never fought before comes in uh, d- uh, does a dive on? It's so it's so clearly a fake fight, uh, but it's listed as a real fight. It's listed on Takata's pro record. Kyle Sturgeon disappeared into the wind, uh, was never seen again, uh, probably for good reason. Uh, and in fact, on uh, the, the next episode of Pride Resurrection, Takada fights for the last time in the Pride ring as a professional mixed martial artist. He fights Kiyoshi Tamura, another one of his disciples, in his farewell match. Uh, I think things don't go the way that they had planned. Oh, uh, uh, let me finish uh, finish this thought, and I gotta go uh, grab my uh, daughter real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, at yeah, so Takata. just a, 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 a kind of a bad fella, but he did a lot for Japanese combat sports. Uh, he was just he was a dick. He was just a massive asshole. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> so, uh, let me go. Yeah, go. Uh, let me go. My daughter,
0: I'll be right back. And that I just forgot to say that question was from Gentleman's Combat at Gentleman's Comba C O M B A. Oh yeah, actually I want to talk about you know the whole pride working matches and that's because you recently posted a uh, a clip from the Don Fry um. Oh my God! Well, I'm forgetting the Japanese guy's name. Um, the uh, last match that is uh, uh, Yoshida. Yoshida, yes. Um, yeah. uh, where
1: uh, uh, the judo champ.
0: Where uh, Yoshida gets a uh, uh, fry an armbar, and it looks like the armbar is on for about maybe 25 seconds or something. But uh, in the in the clip you posted, you point to the referee, who seems to be directing um, yeah. Yoshida. Yeah. I'm curious to know: are there any other matches that you that while watching these things from Pride and all that stuff that you that you think mm, maybe that match wasn't actually a, a real MMA match.
1: So other than uh, Takata versus Kyle Sturgeon, uh, you know Pride had a specific way where they would kind of fix fights in a, in a not an outward sort of, hey, you got to lose this way or, or whatnot. What they, Pride would often do would be to change opponents on short notice on fighters or call a fighter and give him a week notice to fight. Uh, something like that would be Amir Aronavardi when he fought Gary Goodridge, a guy who he had uh, actually trained with, and they called uh, Amir up on two-day notice and said, hey, you want to come to Japan and fight Gary Goodridge? He says yes, and of course Gary Goodridge just toys with him and then ends up demolishing him, and that, that was a fix in, in that way. Maybe... The result was not determined, but it was. It was. That's how they they set it up that way. So they would do that a lot. Pride would do that a lot, and there's many examples of them doing that. Another outward, uh, outright fix would be Takata versus Mark Coleman. Mark Coleman has kind of alluded to he did what he had to do to take care of his family, and from my understanding is that Pride had offered Mark Coleman a a contract and a guarantee of future fights if he would take a dive for Takata. And that happened at Pride Pride 5, I believe. It might have been Pride 6. No, Pride 6, Takata fought uh, Mark Kerr. Mark Kerr uh, destroyed him, which, again, I think it's a little fishy if you watch that fight. Uh, But anyway, I don't want to get off the weeds here. Mark Coleman versus Takata is is just a notorious uh, fix. It clearly is. Uh, Mark Coleman would, any day of the week, even on his worst day, break Nobuhiko Takata in half, and he succumbs to a heel hook, of all things. Like, it, it, was, it was so bad. It was just awful. That's another reason why I, I don't like Takata. And I almost couldn't forgive Mark Coleman for that, but I, from what I understood, is that they promised that they'd give him more fights, and they uh, at the, I think at the Pride 2000 GP... Uh, Mark Coleman was in it, and he was given a pretty easy path uh, to victory. He fought Kirisoji. Kirisoji was about, I would say, 50 pounds lighter than him. Uh, Mark Coleman goes through him pretty easily. Uh, and then Mark Coleman ended up get begin uh, be getting a gift. He fought Alan Goa's uh i don't want to get mixed up here uh so i'll just uh, i'll forget about that for a moment but when he fought fujita fujita had fought against mark kerr mark kerr was really had a lot of things going on in his life at the time and he ended up losing uh being pretty much exhausted and he lost the decision mm. um or it might have been a, a, a stoppage uh, i think it was a, a decision but fujita ended up getting hurt and His corner, when he went to fight Mark Coleman, his corner threw in a towel as soon as the bell rang. So Mark Coleman didn't even need to fight uh, his semifinal opponent. Meanwhile, so Mark Coleman would go to the finals. And in the finals, he was to face Igor Volchanshin, who had just got through fighting a 30-minute fight with Sakuraba in the semifinals. So Mark Coleman had, like, the easiest path in the 2000 Grand Prix. Uh, Though they had set it up, Mark Coleman... Should have fought Kerr if Fujita didn't shock the world and that would have been a hell of a fight. I think at that time uh, these two giant bulging muscly men who were actually friends and had trained together to fight for $250,000 I think would have been awesome.
0: Now while watching uh, all these pride shows for your channel is there any show that just sticks out to you it's like wow this show was freaking amazing.
1: Well, obviously, the the 2000 Grand Prix, uh, the entirety of it, you watch the the opening rounds and the finals that were split over two shows, but also Pride 10. I think Pride 10 was a monster of a show. Just uh, front to back, great finishes, a lot of great fights, and, you know, I think Bad Blood was also a good show. Pride 19 uh, was also a pretty good show, but uh, I would say so far in the – In our timeline of Pride, we're going through a uh, chronological order. So we started with Pride 1. We're on Pride 23 now. Uh, It's been about 27 events. And in what we've seen so far, Pride 10 was by far the best show. I mean, it's just an awesome show. If if, uh, you're interested in in MMA and you don't know a whole lot about Pride, you watch Pride 10, uh, it'll make you an instant fan. Great show.
0: Now, you also, on your channel, you will have – outside pride shows so like you have show, uh, shows from the outsider you have shows from jungle fights uh i think i uh deep and pancreas i also saw so uh oh just uh w- w- what about these other shows that you wanted to include them in your channel what was the reason behind that
1: so w- we'll take the outsider so the outsider was a promotion that was sort of the follow-up to the rings fighting uh fighting network rings which was created by Akira Maeda. In 1991, uh, the war, uh, the combat sports world of Japan, I guess you could say, was splintered or fractured when nobihiko Takada, Akira Maeda, and uh, Fujiwara were, who were like huge names in Japanese pro wrestling. They all sort of split off uh, from the company that they were working in together, which was. Um, which was, uh, was the UWF? The, the, the UWF with the UWF, so the original Universal uh, uh, Wrestling Federation. Uh, so they have UWF uh, Newborn, or it might have been called Reborn, uh, but either either way, that promotion was closed up, and uh, the three big guys from that, Akira Maeda, Nobuhiko Takada, and Yoshiaki Fujiwara, they all went off to create their own promotions. Yoshiaki Fujiwara created. Uh, Fujiwara uh, Gumi, uh, pro wrestling Fujiwara Gumi, which had Ken Shamrock, uh, Minoru Suzuki, Masakazu Funaki, three guys who would eventually leave Fujiwara to go create Pancrase, uh, and the rest is history. Uh, Takada had created I the. My lip. You bumped your lip. Yes. Oh no. Uh, Nobihiko Takada would create the UWFI, which was the what do you call that thing? Uh... I can't remember what it stands for, <laughs> but he created the UWFI uh, and Akira Mater created Fighting Network Rings, which Akira Mayer created Fighting Network Rings, which in the beginning from until about early 1998 was a shoot style promotion. So it was all 95% fake. Every now and then they would have a quote unquote legitimate shoot fight that had maybe a non predetermined result. Uh, or the guys would go pretty heavy on each other, such as a, a rings event in 19, early 1998, maybe late 1997, uh, after Frank Shamrock left Pancrase and he was sort of drifting in the wind, he came into rings and fought Shioshi Kosaka. And just watching that fight, you can tell, even if all the fights surrounding them were clearly kind of a work style, uh, you could tell that, that uh, Frank Shamrock and uh, Kosaka were going at each other really hard, drawing blood. And so that was the, the odd, non-worked fight in rings. Then in 1998, late 1998, mid-1998 maybe, after Akira Mata retired, retired, uh, he fought, He, and it's listed on both their pro records, Alexander Karolin, uh, Russian wrestling god, uh, where they went to a draw. It was a fake fight. <laughs> That's another oddity. If you want to watch a, pro, a wrestling or a MMA oddity, that will stun you and i was in disbelief the whole thing i kind of made it i kind of took the piss out of the whole fight it was clearly a work uh carolyn sh- should have broke akira Meda so many times but anyway uh so fighting network rings became a legit promotion in 1998 uh they would ha- uh grow some pretty awesome talent such as fedor fader started in uh fighting network rings uh Minotaro Noguera started there. Uh, Dan Henderson. So a lot of uh, guys that would eventually move over to Pride got started in rings. And then rings went belly up in early 2002. Uh, Pride was the promotion in Japan at the time. They were on top of the not only the Japanese MMA world, but the entire world. They were number one. Uh, UFC, it would take years and years before UFC finally caught up to them. Um, but... In 1997, Akira May decided to come back and have like a sequel to Rings, which was called The Outsider. And I believe it was called Rings The Outsider. And I, from what I've been able to take away, I don't understand Japanese, but watching these events, they were put together solely so Japanese biker gangs and members of the Yakuza and other street gangs in Japan fight each other in a ring (laughs) and there is no doubt that's what happens because they do backstories on the guys they show them with their uh, biker gangs uh they show them they come in the ring they're covered in yakuza tattoos and they're some of the worst fights you've ever seen but they're both that also makes them so awesome (laughs) because they're so amateurish that it's just super entertaining so yeah uh the outsider i don't know how long they keep this uh style going of pitting japanese gangs against each other i don't know if they're settling their differences what the idea is behind it i'm sure someone out there a a native of japan could probably fill me in on on what the story is behind the promotion is i'm just going off of an educated guess uh so yeah the outsider that's why i decided to do that one because after i saw the first one i'm like this this is some hot stuff imagine if they did this in america where they did like bully beatdown but they did you know the Crips and the Bloods settle their differences in the MMA ring. <laughs> Come on, that, that is.
0: <laughs> oh my God, am, that'd be great. Who
1: yeah, who wouldn't want to watch that? That is something that if they, if somebody hears this and they decide to put that together, uh, that's all right. I'll, I'll let them take the credit for that.
0: <laughs> so what, uh, what, uh, what can, uh, what future shows do you have planned for the channel?
1: I'm working on episode 27 of Pride Resurrection right now, which will cover Pride 23. Gonna have uh, a lot of fun stuff happen in that one. Uh, there's a preview up for that one on the channel right now. Uh, I'm gonna be working on a sort of a, a shit posting video for Kickboxer 2, the sequel, the bad sequel to the Jean Claude Van Damme uh, uh, vehicle, uh, Kickboxer. Uh, I'm going to do that in a style of, I just did a recent video called uh, The Most Dangerous Man Alive Today's Dungeon, where I sort of watch a silly pro wrestling or MMA event and just take the piss out of it. Uh, So I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to start working on that for Kickboxer 2. That should be a whole lot of fun. And then I'll probably get back to live streaming here and we'll probably watch, I don't know, something like Smack Girl from 2001, which was a Japanese women-only MMA And I use that term very loosely MMA promotion, which I think it was actually more like pro wrestling based. I don't know how many, how many of the fights in that promotion were ever real, but it's got like cute little Japanese girls in there. Most of them are cute. Some of them are, are <laughs> I, I wouldn't categorize as cute in a, uh, a typical way. <laughs> Some of them are pretty homely, but, uh, yeah, I, I have, I have a couple of those. Uh, lying around that I might uh throw that up next for like a live stream and we could watch it all and and laugh that that typically what what I'm out for is finding not not videos that are great MMA but are stuff that are
0: entertaining in other ways. Mm. Do you, now do you keep up with Ryzen or any JMMA uh that's pre, that's on presently?
1: No, no and uh, just uh, Sort of casually uh, now. I've actually really been strictly classic MMA, classic pro wrestling stuff, Japanese uh, like affair uh, lately, though I still obviously follow the news, uh, keep my ears open. Uh, and I guess the reason for that is I really like classic MMA, and I really like the, the style, and especially when you say, what's better, Pride or UFC? I would tell you Pride in a heartbeat, just because uh, aesthetically, not only aesthetically, I, I, I find Pride more pleasing. Fighting in a ring, you might say, oh, but the cage, you know, uh, when you fight in a ring, you have to worry about the ropes, and the referee has to come over and get involved and move the fighters, and yeah, that happens, but I think aesthetically, watching Pride, it just it looked nicer, and their presentation is just a whole lot better, and yeah, there's some pro wrestling elements into that, but When you were Pride at the time and you have 52,000 fans packed into an arena for an event, just the feeling uh, can't be beat. And also, yeah, Pride. Pride fighting. The fights, I think the rule set was better. I'm not a big fan of the unified rules that they use in the U.S. Uh, I think the Japanese rules where kicks and knees to a downed opponent weren't any more dangerous than elbows. Uh, In fact, you probably see a lot more cuts in the UFC than you ever did in Pride. Uh, but also, you know, Pride was a product of its Daddy. of its rule set, which included Daddy. La- Daddy. Yes. Pal went home. Okay, Daddy's coming up, We're gonna play Super Mario. Okay. <laughs> uh, Pride was there where they did a test for steroids, and that was that was no big secret. That, that was kind of an open secret. Did produce some. Awesome-looking fighters and some really great matches, and and yeah, you could say that UFC is cleaned up now. Uh, I mean, I guess there's still ways around that, but for most part, it's a it's a clean sport. I say to hell with it. If they're fighting, you know what? Just let them do what they're gonna do. (laughs) So Pride, the Pride fights, the what made Pride fights so great were a combination of things. Not only the rule set. The sort of lackadaisical drug testing, the atmosphere, the look. Uh, to me, it, that's what just makes it so much better.
0: And just to uh, go off on what you say about the look, uh, also just a presentation. Lenny Hart uh, calling out the names oh, of the yeah. fighters. The yeah. entrances. That's the one thing about the UFC. And, you know, I watch UFC and it is the number one. But there's just something so sterile and just it's not... It has a very. It's 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 like if you ever watch WWE now, it's almost like the same thing. It's just
1: yeah, oh yeah, yeah.
0: It's 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 uh, missing that oomph, that oomph where you feel yeah. like you're watching something that that's, that goes beyond Absolutely. the pale. You
1: know, speaking of that you watch WWE now, and they have before the before the first scene of the wrestling show even starts, they have like a minute. <gasps> they have like a minute thirty seconds of self-filleting. Advertising bullshit, you know, with the then, now, forever, and then they have the intro with the music that they've licensed, and then when you finally get to the arena, uh, uh, somebody comes out and they talk for 15 minutes. Now, compare that with the Raw from the Attitude Era. You know, that music hits you, it's about 20 seconds long, uh, just a short little intro, and then you go right to the arena, fireworks, and crazy shit is happening. Big difference in in presentation, which is why I think... uh, Uh, wwe is in the shitter now compared to how it used to be it's not only it's only stars and it's content and it's how you present that content and they've made it again like a streamlined sort of corporate version of pro wrestling Uh, but yeah also with ufc you just look at how pride fighting championships would end the fights like when a guy won it was straight to lenny Hart getting on the mic screaming the guy's name he's celebrating streamers come down Crazy stuff is happening. There's just so much emotion and excitement and pride. At the end, when a, a fight is finished by TKO, knockout, or submission, and even a decision was like, they bring the guys out to the center of the ring. The lights go down. It's very dramatic. And UFC, just when that—that's how I would uh, say a big comparison. Just look at—I I posted a, a clip on my uh, Twitter recently of Vanderlei Silva winning a fight. And just how exciting it was when he won, you know, it's it's like night and day between how when a finish comes in the UFC, it just sort of happens, and then and then that's it, you know. The crowd might go crazy, but you know, in ring, it's just like kind of ugh, it's it's done, it's over. With uh, Pride, it was a big deal. They made it a huge deal when somebody finished a fight.
0: And also, now, I'm just gonna add as well, uh, quick before I give you the final word, uh, the the audience as well. When you watch the Pride audience and like. When they, when Sakuraba would go to the ground, you could just hear the, hear them getting excited and all that stuff. Problem is with the modern, I think the modern UFC fan right now is that is there a lack of knowledge about the just the sport in general. They just know the knockout. They don't know the intricacies of going to the ground and all that stuff. And when it seems whenever a fight goes to the ground, you could just hear the audience just go like, Ugh, really? Keep it standing." Yeah, I got it.
1: I think a part of that has to do with the cage too. It's hard to see when they're on the ground and they're up right against the cage. You can't really see what's going on. That's why I like I like the big wide ring. You can see everything that's happening. And in Japan there was a, a, a greater appreciation and I think that had to do with just like the shoot style pro wrestling is it was an art form and they viewed it as that and when guys were on the ground grappling even if the fight was boring, the Japanese fan was courteous enough not to, to to shit on it. Though sometimes you would hear a whistle every now and then, but for the most part, when you had two professionals on the mat in Japan fighting and grappling, the crowd was into it, like super into it. And yeah, that is missing in, in American MMA.
0: Now I don't want now your kids want to play Super Mario. I'm not gonna take that away from them, but I just want to give you the final <laughs> final word. Um. Yeah, just uh, plug uh, your YouTube channel, uh, uh, the uh, social media that you run, Discord, every, anything else you want to promote uh, Most Dangerous Man Alive today.
1: Yeah, so you can check us out on, on YouTube. Just search for Pride Resurrection in the search bar. I guarantee you, you won't find some gay porno. If it's going to be us, that'll be us. Even though the, our profile picture might look like Sakuraba is blowing, uh, Alan goes. <laughs> it's, it's it's just a spoof. Um uh, we're also on Bitchute, if you want to check us out there. Just search for Pride Resurrection on on Twitter at Pride Res R-E-Z. Uh, and Yeah, and you, if you want to join our Discord, uh, I don't know how to how to tell you guys to find the Discord. <laughs> just go to our Twitter and ask us, and you can come on our Discord.
0: Now, do you do, when you do the shows live? Do you do them on Twitch or is it YouTube or?
1: I uh, will do them on YouTube, and I usually announce them a, a day prior. Uh, a couple days prior sometimes, uh, you'll see that there's a, so, a show scheduled uh, to take place. But, yeah, that all happens on YouTube, uh, John. Fortunately, I'd like to be able to kick the YouTube habit, but, you know, what are you going to do?
0: No, of, course, of course, of course. Well, uh, Most Dangerous man alive, thank you so much for talking to us. I love the channel. I love what you're doing. I wish, you know, there was some sort of archive or something that wasn't behind a paywall to watch these shows. But you're the only guy who's doing it. And thank you uh, for taking time to talk to us about uh, the channel. And, yeah, looking forward to the next show that you do. Um, Pride, the audience, whatever it will be.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, take care. Uh, this has been awesome.
0: Yeah, no problem. Stay safe, be healthy, and enjoy uh, Super Mario.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Take care.
0: Take care.